Yeah, just before we get going, I just wanted to share again, just a reminder for those of us here and those of us watching online, um, how we're doing our Sunday gathering signups right now. So um, as we shared last week, we're now at 15% building occupancy, which is a max of 38 people here total in the building. So we're asking people, everyone to sign up uh, if you want to attend a Sunday morning. So again, you can do this on the website. You can call us uh, during the week. Um, please don't wait until the last minute if at all possible. Um, if there is room, or sorry, if there is no room, we will let you know. So if you're wondering about like, oh, if I sign up, is there room? If there's not, we'll let you know. So don't worry about that. Um, you can actually sign up up to three weeks in advance. So if you're like, I, I can't come next week, but I know I want to come the next week, well, then you can hit that button and you can sign up and, and kind of get in front of the queue. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, and if you are serving, for those of you that serve on a particular Sunday, um, please still sign up so that we know how many of your family are coming because we don't want to be guessing um, whether or not family members are coming. We just want to avoid confusion with that. So make sense? Good, good to see all of you here. Uh, it's good to be together. And I know those of you watching online, I just uh, want to welcome you here as well. We've, we've got a lot more people now watching online again. So, uh, you know, let's pray again before we enter into the word. Father, we want to thank you again that you are faithful, that you are constant, that you never change, that there is not one ounce of change in you, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, Lord, we just, again, we, we want to make ourselves aware of that, remind ourselves of that, and submit ourselves under your rule and your reign because you are a good father who loves us. And so, Lord, we, we come into entering into learning from the word this morning. We want to receive everything that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We love your presence. We want more and more of your presence to make us like you. Jesus, thank you. We ask that you glorify yourself in this place. So a theme that's sort of been running as an undercurrent, if you will, along this whole series, and if you've looked at the title slides um, for this series that we're in, Presence Formation Ripples, you'll see that little phrase, uh, fostering patterns of renewal in our lives. And we, we talked a little bit about that before we went into this series in the spring. And so now it's kind of been running as this undercurrent along this focus on presence and formation that we've been talking about. And, and really what we're talking about, again, is cultivating spiritual disciplines and habits in our lives to help us abide in the life of Jesus. It's really that simple. We just want to increase and abide with Jesus and, and know more of him. And so we're, we've been talking about patterns and or disciplines, habits in our lives, consistent and intentional practices that invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. And, and again, I, I've said this before, but I just want to reiterate that this is essential and non-negotiable, if you will, if you want to experience the presence of God in your life. This is, this is the way that we do it. And so in that, how can we not talk about prayer, right? We haven't really specifically focused on prayer yet as part of this series. And, and, you know, there's many different areas to focus on that we have been when it comes to formation. But I think you'd agree that if, when we're talking about formation, prayer's got to be like right at the top of the list. We, we can't talk about formation for the way of Jesus without talking about prayer, because it's the very essence and the very means by which we experience and we grow in encountering God's presence, becoming more like Jesus. Prayer is just 
maybe it's like it's presupposed or assumed. Like we've, we've talked a lot about a lot of these things, and you're like, well, prayer is just sort of part of that. And it, yes, you're right, it is. So we've, we've certainly touched on it, but we haven't specifically looked at it. And so we want to this morning uh, consider what does God specifically say to us about prayer, and what is the word model for us when it comes to prayer in the church? And there's, there's obviously there's many different types of prayer there's, there's methods and variations, there's intercessory prayer, there's contemplative prayer, there's petitions, there's thanksgiving, there's prayer done in solitude, etc., etc., etc. There's lots of different types of prayer. But throughout the New Testament, what we see is the church together joining in prayer. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to focus on the early part of the book of Acts, uh, where it speaks of this, and we're doing this with the conviction that the spiritual practices of the early church, the way that the early church functioned, are given to us as examples and models to follow, that we want to follow what we see in Scripture. Specifically, and I, I think this is something to think about, as a smaller church, we have an incredible opportunity to foster a life of prayer together. Logistically, it's actually easier for us than a lot of larger churches. And so it gives us a phenomenal opportunity to do this together. And so this is what I want to talk about uh, today is fostering prayer together as a pattern of renewal. So a bit of a lengthy title, but I think that every part of that title, fostering prayer together as a pattern of renewal in our lives is so, so important. And so what we see in the book of Acts when it comes to prayer together prescribes to us a way of living that will form patterns of renewal in us. That's why I'm using that term. And, and so full disclosure in all this, I, I totally have an agenda this morning. Okay? Like I am trying to coerce you to embrace a life of prayer together. Yes, there, I'm not making any secrets. I have a total agenda this morning. Because this is really, really good for you. Yes, it's modeled in Scripture. Yes, the Word talks about it. But it's really, really, really good for us. So, certainly, there's also need for us to commit to a practice of solitary prayer in our lives. So, we're not talking about this to be, you know, to, to forgetting about other forms of prayer. It's not, you know, this or that. It's both and. Right? And, and so solitary prayer, that's another message for another week, maybe next week. We'll see. But, but we're not talking about this at the expense of prayer together. Now, wanna, there, there's a phrase that we've heard a lot in the last few months. And maybe as soon as you hear the first word or the first two words, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. We, we are being told again and again right now in our province to practice the what? Ah, there it is. Practice the fundamentals, right? When it comes to everything we're going through got to practice it. And we know, I'm not going to get into what that is, but in an effort to slow down COVID, we're constantly told, practice the fundamentals. Now, in the midst of this, you're going, okay, Paul, you're talking about commitment to the church body. You're talking about being present in the body. You're talking about prayer together. Like, what gives? You're talking about this in the midst of a pandemic. Like, have you forgotten that we can't meet together as easily? No. I'm not unaware. I'm not forgetting. This is very intentional because of this. I was thinking about that this yesterday. Because it's crucial as a church right now that we talk about practicing the fundamentals that we are called to. 
there's fundamentals in the church that we want to practice that define us as followers of Jesus. And that's being part of the body. That's prayer together. Those are fundamentals. I, I recognize this is not a value right now that's held high in the Western church. I, I'm, we have largely actually abandoned the practice of prayer together. That, that is, that's the truth of when we look at metrics, when we look at studies, when we look at, at surveys that are done, when we look honestly at the, our own, the own participation in our church, we are largely abandoning this. And yet it is clear, clear in the word that shows us that prayer together has a powerful impact, not only in our lives, but in our witness to the world around us. Both of those things are powerful things. And so as we look at some verses in Acts 4 today, I want to I wanna ask, what can we glean from the response of the church in Acts? What does Scripture reveal to us here about prayer? Because Acts 3 to 5, that sort of, we're not going to look at that whole um, part of it, but, but Acts 3 to 5 as a whole is really a model of fellowship and relationship in the church. It's indicative of how deeply interconnected the church was in their relationship with one another and in their relationship with the Lord. We'll see that later on. So before we get into the text today, I just kind of want to lay out here for us the context of what was happening here, what was going on in the early church. We had Acts 2, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit falls on the church. There's this incredible move of God. 3,000 are added to the church in one day, it says. So it's this massive church explosion. The church is thriving together from everything we see. Yeah, I'm sure there was problems, but the church was thriving. Peter and John, then, they go to the temple to pray amidst this. And they meet this older guy that's crippled from birth. And he's laying there as they go. And he's expecting to receive from them money. Peter's like, I don't got anything for you, dude. I don't have money. Are you kidding? Look at me. But he says, what I do have, I will give you. And in the name of Jesus, he commands that he's healed. And he is. Jesus heals him. And it says the people were utterly astounded, it says in the book of Acts. Like they were just like, whoa, what is going on here? I, I love the wording in the text. And, and so it presents this opportunity for Peter to get up and he preaches the gospel. And people are just amazed at what's happening. Now this happens after he preaches about Jesus' resurrection. What happens? He's promptly arrested. So it's like, well, that went from like great to really bad all of a sudden. Like, when you think about what's going on here, it's like, this is bad. And then after being detained, and they threatened him, and John, it says they're released, and that's where we pick it up in Acts 4.23. So that's sort of the context of what's been going on here. So, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty at this point in the early church. So Acts 4, verse 23, you can follow along with me, or it'll be up on the screen. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So again, they were talking about how they had been threatened. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles 
in the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This morning, I want to I look from here. I want to look at the characteristics of this prayer that we just read through. Because there's, in here, there's a prayer that they're praying. And I want to look at what defines this. And then, I, and then I want us to consider, okay, what are the effects of this prayer that we see here, that we, that we read? So characteristics of their prayer. We see right off the top that it was done together. Verse 24, they lifted their voices together. And this was vocal prayer in the singular tense. So in the Greek, it's in the singular tense, meaning they were listening to one another praying. They weren't just all doing it at one time on their own. They were listening to what each other was praying. It was done in unity. They weren't following their own prayer agendas, but they were seeking the Lord together. Verse 31, it says there, well, they were gathered together. And they turned, this is what's so interesting here, they turned to the word to direct their prayer. Verse 25, they filled, before they even began to pray, as they began to pray, they filled their minds with God's word. They reminded themselves here of God's sovereign power. In fact, in verse 24, the, the word that they use there for the Lord, that's a different word than the common word that's used for Lord in the New Testament. This word is one that actually refers to a slave owner or a ruler whose power cannot be questioned. And so what they're doing is they're reminding themselves, God, we're submitting ourselves under your rule, your reign. You are in control of all things, and we want to remind ourselves of this truth. And so they're declaring, God, you're the creator of all things. Whatever transpires on this earth right now, we're reminding ourselves Jesus is above all things. See, this is where I read this. I'm like, oh, I can equate this to today. This is good, right? Because they're praying. What they're praying there is Psalm 2, if you didn't know that. And Psalm 2 is a really incredible messianic psalm where it talks in there about how God will place his king on Zion. The nations are his heritage. All the earth is his possession. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. That's all part of of Psalm 2. And so they're reminding themselves, this is who you are, God. Amidst everything that's going on, they relate scripture to their present situation. So the situation that the church is in here feels tense, feels threatening. Like, what's going to happen? Peter and John have been arrested. We don't know what the future holds. They remind themselves, God, we know that your purposes are going to prevail. What God has predestined to pass is going to to happen. They're looking to the word. They're praying the word for perspective. And I I love that, right? Because they're not, uh, okay, obviously, but they're not checking Twitter. 
They're not checking Instagram. They're not checking Facebook. They're not going to the CBC. They're not going to CNN. They're not going to the Daily Wire. They're not going to MSNBC. They're not going to Fox News. See, I'm really on top of this, right? All these, all any, whatever, whatever media platform you gravitate to, they're not going to those things to get their perspective. Now, okay, I'm saying that. I recognize it is really hard right now in our world not to get sucked in. It is really difficult not to get sucked in to the gravitational pull of what's happening in our culture. But what we see here is the church saying we're looking to the word. We're not looking to our circumstances. We're asking the Lord to shape our minds and to shape our outlook. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting. Like this past week, you think about the chaos and the upheaval that is happening in the U.S. And it's probably going to continue to happen. Like they're not done with this. Whatever people want to believe, it's not done. But I saw this week on social media, Christians in the name of God making pronouncements and prophetic statements that were so off the top ridiculous. I was like, what in the world is going on in our Christian sphere? Like, this is not what God is calling us to. This is not what the Word calls us to. The Word calls us to look to this for perspective. We don't want to make proclamations that have no basis in Scripture. So consider the situation here for a second. There's a lot of uncertainty in the church. Lots of opposition. Threat of persecution, which we know is yet to come. Right? You read the rest of Acts. There was persecution yet to come. But they, they are monotheists in a pagan culture. And you're like, what does that mean? Don't, don't let the terminology fool you. What that means is modern interpretation. They were followers of Jesus in a secular, humanistic culture. Sound familiar? That, this, is, this is us. The future looks very uncertain. What? did they do? They turned to scripture to frame their views and to understand what was happening. What, how do we make sense right now of everything that's happening around us? And the question I would ask is, do we immerse ourselves in God's word rather than the opinions and commentaries of countless individuals? Remember, you are being formed. Every day you're being formed. What is forming you? And so the need for scripture and prayer to shape and form us in these days is crucial. Immersion in the word shapes how we pray and what we pray. To set our minds on the ways of God and the truth of God. I guarantee you, you get into the word more and more and more. It will impact and affect precisely how you pray. You will pray differently because of what you read and study and meditate on in his word. It will change your perspective in glorious ways. All right, so that's, that's the characteristics of prayer. Now let's talk about the effects of prayer. I want to look at four effects of prayer together that we see here. Number one, prayer together invites the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that every time we gather together for prayer and we invite the Holy Spirit, we're praying for the Holy Spirit to be with us, but we should expect that where we are is going to be shaken. 
right? But I'm also not saying that just because we don't see that, and you're like, well, we don't see that now, so if I don't see that, well, then I don't know if the Holy Spirit's really moving in that way anymore. I'm not saying that either, because the early church for us provides evidence of how the Holy Spirit moves in response to prayer. The Holy Spirit absolutely moves when we pray together. So Colossians 3, 12 to 17, I'm not going to read it, but in there in Colossians 3, there's this little section that provides instruction to how to minister to one another when we gather. And it's centered around worship and song. It's centered around teaching of the word. It's centered on prayer. It talks about giving thanks to God there. And it fits really alongside Galatians 5, being led by the Spirit. It fits alongside Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit. And, and interestingly enough, Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit, is connected to worship and prayer together. When you read that section in Ephesians 5, it's all about being together and welcoming the Holy Spirit with amongst us. So what we see in these passages is that prayer is communion with God. It's inviting the, His Holy Spirit to move amongst us, speak to us, transform us, etc., etc., etc. But we are inviting the Holy Spirit amongst us. And we experience this when we come together to pray. But you have to make room for this in your life. You have to posture yourself. You actually, you can't rush into prayer. There's, there's this thing of waiting and listening and submitting our hearts. It happened just a couple weeks back at prayer time together. We were gathered here, right here. There was just, just like, I think six of us. We were just gathered together here praying, waiting on the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's presence was tangibly amongst us. Like, it was like powerful. I went away from there being, like, it was just, you know, it was just a small group. I went away from that night so, so encouraged because we met the Lord. He was here with us. So we have to make room for this. You go, well, well Paul, why don't, why don't we just do this on a Sunday morning? Like, let's just do that. Well, we do in some measure here and there. But here's the thing. An hour and a half is not long enough for this. That's, that's simply the, the kind of the logistics of it. We've conditioned ourselves in the Western church for short services. That was not the norm in the early church. And it's not the norm for large amounts of the church today all over the world. They, don't, they, they hear that the, the church in North America meets for an hour, an hour and a half, and they're like, what? Like you go into Africa and it's eight hours. You go into India and it's hours and hours of just being together and worshiping and prayer and listening to the word. And it's something to experience it. Like coming into that from a Western mindset, you're like, this is incredibly different. So this is why specific times of prayer together invite us to encounter the Holy Spirit. That's why prayer together is, has a different focus than Sunday morning, and it actually should. Now you might go, well, okay, better yet, why can't I just have my own personal prayer time with Jesus? Like, I just want, I just want to meet with Jesus alone. Absolutely, yes, you should. You, I, want, I want all of us to meet with Jesus every day. But so, so we go, well, why don't we need to gather then? And I would ask this, why did the church in Acts make such an intentional effort to pray together? Why? Because they knew that it was powerful. They knew that what they were doing was impacting their lives and their hearts. 
encounter the Holy Spirit together. And they knew also that Jesus had spoken of their relationship together. Clearly, he did that in the Gospels. And so it only made sense that we're going to seek the Lord together. This is not about my personal faith, my personal Jesus. This is about the community of God together. Jesus loves when we gather to seek him. I want to make a note here. Verse 31, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask a question. Had these, and at home, you can answer this at home. Had these people received the Holy Spirit already? What do you think? Had they received the Holy Spirit? Yes? No? I, I think scripture says they had. I think that beginning of Acts says that they had. They had already been baptized, so they had received the Holy Spirit, and the apostles themselves had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.4 says that. So I would say, yes, they had all been filled. This was a subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit. That, that was a result of prayer, was a result of seeking after the Lord. In fact, for Peter, this was at least the third time he was filled, because he had already been filled one one time uh, prior to this that we read of in Scripture. So three times already, Peter's like, man, I want more of this. All right, number two, the, uh, the second effect. Prayer together produces boldness. We see this in both verse 29 and verse 31. Verse 29, the church prayed, they asked the Lord for boldness. So they're faced with political opposition. They're faced with cultural hostility. There, there's this indifference to them and, and a very real sense of, of really what, what's going to happen next. They didn't know what was going to happen next. And so they pray. Their response is, in not knowing, they say, God, would you give us boldness? And then they ask for God to move in their city. They, they don't, it's interesting, when you look at what they pray, they don't ask God for protection. They don't seek power and influence. They don't pray for vengeance on those who had arrested them. They ask God to move in healing and to glorify Jesus. And what does verse 31 say there that the church continued to do? Anyone has their Bibles? What does verse 31 say? The, the very end of it. And continued to speak the word of God with, what does it say? Boldness. So the very thing they asked for, God gives to them. And this boldness is connected to the filling of the Holy Spirit. One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is boldness. Some of us, you might say, yeah, some of us are more naturally inclined to boldness based on our personalities uh, and, and how, we're, how we're made up. But this states that every single person here was filled with boldness. And I don't think you would say, well, they all had the same personality. But they were all filled with boldness. And what is the common denominator to this group? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what fills them. And, I, and it's interesting, again, that they ask for boldness. When we feel inclined to timidity, when we feel inclined to fear, when you feel inclined to worry, do you ask God to increase your boldness? What is, the, what is the nature of this boldness? Well, it's speaking the word of God with boldness. That's what we see here. So verse 33, they are testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. This is boldness for gospel witness in 
our lives. Prayer together will produce boldness in us. It actually will have a cumulative effect on us in our lives as it pertains to gospel witness. The impact of prayer with other believers on a consistent and intentional basis will form you into the way of Jesus. It will bring spiritual growth and strength in your life. This, that, all of that, that strength, that growth, helping you to follow the way of Jesus, all of that, I, w- I, w- I will guarantee that will increase boldness in your life. The Greek here says, uh, when it says that they were, um, verse 33, when they were, it says when they were giving their testimony, that means there in the Greek plainly to tell it all. It's, it's what, it, what it's getting at is it's living authentic lives. It's not being afraid of being open and transparent that you live the way of Jesus. I don't have to hide that. I want to tell it all. And bold, I want to be filled with boldness as the Holy Spirit empowers me to live that way. Now, we say that prayer isn't about numbers, and that's, and that's true too. And that's, on one hand, that's true. But there is an impact when a group of people are pulling in the same direction. There's momentum that happens that results as a result of that when people are growing. Back, back in the late 90s, there was a move of God that was happening amongst us as youth in Winnipeg. And there were hundreds of youth coming out consistently for worship and prayer services. We were gathering together. And it was, it was amazing. Like it was absolutely amazing what the Holy Spirit was doing in our lives. We were going into malls in groups and we were splitting off into smaller groups in the malls and we were proclaiming the message of Jesus in the malls. We were praying for people that were sick in the malls right out in the the open. Didn't matter what people around us thought. We didn't care what people thought. We didn't care if people gave us funny looks. It just didn't matter. Like we were filled with a boldness and that boldness was a result of us coming together in worship and prayer. 100%. 100%. And that, it did something in me. Like, I experienced an exponential growth in boldness in my life in that time. That's, I would say, has never left me. There was something that the Holy Spirit did in me in those days that I was like, I do not care what others think about me when it comes to Jesus. And I believe that sustained commitment to prayer together as the body has a profound impact on our passion and boldness for Jesus. And I, I want to I warmly, I want to challenge you to test that assertion. Test that assertion that prayer together with the body will not over time increase your boldness. Third thing we see here. Prayer together, the third effect. Prayer together increases unity. Verse 32 talks about the joining of hearts souls. Quite frequently at our, our prayer nights, if you've been, you'll see me where I'll say something to the effect of, we, we want to make room to hear from one another in prayer. We actually want to make room for that because I need to hear how God is speaking to other people. I don't have it all. I don't hear God completely the same way as Daryl or Hannah or Chris or whoever it is. I don't hear the same way. They hear differently than I do. And when they pray, there's times where people are praying, and I'm like, oh, 
I'd never thought about it from that perspective. I'd never, and it, and it opens up. God is speaking to me through other people speaking. And it's incredible, and it provides different perspectives in our lives. And so, yes, we are united around core beliefs that form our prayers. But what happens is over time, this, there's a joining of hearts with one another when we approach this with humility and love for one another. We actually grow in our unity through prayer. It's 100% true. So this is not about uniformity. It's not about conformity. But it is about unity. And unity calls us to pray together. There's, there's this one verse right at the end of Colossians uh, that I love. And it's just a little verse in Colossians 4.12 where uh, Paul's kind of giving his end of the, uh, at the end of the letter, he's kind of just speaking to the church, his kind of his benediction. And he says this, he asks this, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I read that, and I was like, I love that. Like, do you not want someone praying for you that you would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God in your life, that you know someone's praying for you in that manner? I was like, man, that Epaphras dude, he's awesome. Like, he was joining his heart and his soul to the welfare of others. I want to see people built up. He's praying. That's what we do when we come together in prayer. We are praying for others. We're praying for one another that we would be built up. Philippians 1.19. Prayer, there's prayers there for Paul in joining his heart. Uh, or sorry, when he's praying there, he's joining his heart to the Philippian church. 2 Corinthians 1.11. Paul asked for the prayers of the church. And he says that they release thanksgiving and blessing through the prayers of many. And Revelation 8, 4, there's that famous verse where the prayers of the saints, it says, rise like incense before the Lord. Like our prayers, our cumulative prayers together are rising up like incense in heaven before the Lord. Wow. So in reading the New Testament, I think we can be conditioned to receive it strictly as individuals. Like, like it's very much, we can read the New Testament and we're reading it for me, myself, and I. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. We, we want this to go inside and to really impact and draw us to Jesus. But we're prone to think of faith in the West as very personal. We also need to remember that the majority of the New Testament is written to churches. It's not written to individuals. It's largely written to the entire body. So Ephesians 1, where it talks about having the eyes of your hearts open, and you would know the hope to which you were called. He says, your eyes open, you would know the hope to which you're called. He's not speaking to you, Daryl, personally. It includes you personally. He's talking to the church. Paul's praying that for the church, that you collectively would know this together. It's the church pursuing this together. When you start to look at the New Testament in that light, that it's not just about me as an individual, it changes how we see the church. Unity amongst the church is at the forefront of the New Testament. And prayer together is one, is one of the core practices presented in Scripture to grow and to make holiness.
four, this fourth effect, last effect. Prayer together releases grace and power into our lives. Verse 33, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, it's not just prayer that releases this grace and power. right? It's also a result of their bold witness that they were engaging in. It was the preaching. It was the, it was the work of the Holy Spirit amongst them. But prayer is certainly there and playing a significant role in releasing this into our lives. I, I think when we read these verses that we read, we're meant to see the connection between prayer, the connection Sorry, the connection between prayer, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and the bold proclamation of the gospel. Like all those three, they kind of go hand in hand to release this amongst us. It releases grace and power in our lives. Literally in the Greek there, that the wording there means mega grace and mega power. So the people reading it are like, this is like, boom, this is big power, this is big grace that they were operating in. You know, I, I will readily admit right now that I'm looking at what's going on in the world and I do not know what's happening. Like any of you there with me, when you're reading, when you're seeing what's going on around us, you're like, I really don't know what's going on. I, th- there's an aspect of what's happening around us right now that feels very unsettling, very concerning, and I don't know what to do with it. Like take the U.S. election this week. I right now have no idea what to believe. I don't. I have no idea where that's going to go. I don't know how to make sense of everything that's happening down there. Look at, do I understand everything that's happening right now with COVID? No, I don't. I think many of us are like, I don't know what's happening. And there's lots of examples, even beyond that. Those are the big two right now. But you could cite other examples where we're like, I don't know what's going on. But we can pray. I can pray, we can pray. And we need to hear that in these verses. There's been a seismic shift, I would say, in the last 10 years in the Western church and the society as a whole. I'm just kind of three 10 years with kind of a difference. But the, the markers are not good when we look at what's happening in the church. We're being influenced far too much by entertainment, by politics, by social media. Surveys show clearly a decreased amount of Bible reading, Bible literacy, prayer, church commitment. All of it is the markers are not good. And the thing is, amidst this, we live in a culture that is marked by emotional distress right now. We really are. like The the increase of mental health issues right now in our society is alarming. There's paralyzing anxiety that people are dealing with all over and there's deep, deep fear that's being sown into the lives of people. That's what we're living amongst. And we're living amongst that in the church too. And our answers right now in our culture to try and explain this and make sense of it is based in secular humanism and psychology. That's how we're trying to make sense of all this. And I'm not saying there's an aspect of that. There's aspects of psychology that are really helpful really, really helpful in making sense of things. But they're doing this while at the same time in society completely eliminating God. We are 
completely doing away with Scripture. It has no place. It has no basis. We have no need for it. And in the church, Scripture and the authority of it is being questioned in many, many forms. Even the shift to secular humanism by some in the church is alarming. Mark Sayers, he says this. I may have actually said this quote before, but I just want to, I think this is such a good barometer of where we're at right now. He said, the root of our emotional toxicity, our deep anxiety, and our fears lie in the absence of his presence. The story of the Bible is the story of the return to of his presence. To grasp this truth is to understand the essence of renewal. So there, there's a, alongside that, there's a renewal principle that, that Mark Sayers gives. And he says this, we can only be healing presences insistent without turning toxic ourselves when we first become living temples of his presence. And I, I, I read that and I go, I see the great need to become a living temple of God's presence. Because the plan of God, right from the creation of this world and, and ongoing, is that the whole earth would be filled with his presence, with the glory of the Lord. And one specific way that we are called to partner with God for the increase of this presence is really simple. We're called to join in prayer together. See, when we talk about the increase of God's presence all over the world and all, like in all different spheres, we're talking, that's, it seems a big, big picture. And you go, I don't even know how, how, to, how I can grapple with that, how I can make sense of that sort of thing, that God's presence is going to flood the earth. And I would say on one level, you don't have to. You are placed in a specific time, in a specific location, right here where you are in your life. And the calling on all of us is to pursue the increase of God's presence in our lives and in the life of the church. It's actually really simple. We do it by prayer. God is calling us to seek him in prayer together. I absolutely believe that. God's heart for this and his people has never, ever wavered. You can go all throughout scripture and you see his heart for his people to join together and to seek him. If my people who are called by my name, right, all throughout scripture, seek me, seek me, seek me, you shall find me. It wasn't done in solitude. It was done as the people of God. We see the church, the response in Acts. Acts 12, Peter's imprisoned. It's earnest prayer by the church made together. They're able to gather together. Acts 13, the church in Antioch, they're fasting and praying together for direction and mission. Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're arrested while they're going to pray. What do they do when they're put into prison? It says they're worshiping and they're praying together. It's like they're just like, trouble happens, stuff comes at us in the church, pray. More stuff comes, pray. Worship, prayer, worship, prayer. Don't turn on CNN. Don't turn on Fox News, whatever. Pray. So here's, here's the question I, I want to wrap up with. How can you make prayer an intentional discipline in your life? How can you have commitment and intentional peace? 
practically for Puerto Rico, you have a multitude of options each and every day. Tuesday morning at 6.30, you can join us. It's open to anyone. We gather here, we worship, we pray. It's an amazing time. Sacrifice your sleep to pursue Jesus together. It's worth it. Monthly night of prayer. We, we're really, you know, we're fortunate that we actually have a building that makes soccer. And I'm so grateful that we have this area right here. So we can, we can gather, we can socially distance, but we can still seek and pursue God together. Yes, we want to be careful, but don't neglect the body. We are still, we are invited to meet in these days when we need to meet. So we, we, need, to be, we need to balance being careful, but not being fearful. Worship and prayer, I'll say this, they're crucial, 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 crucial to the health and the growth of the church. We need to pray together. We need to make this a priority once a month, I would say this. And parents, I would say, if you're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with childcare because we're not doing that right now, take turns. Release the other one and say, hey, go, be blessed, have prayer tonight, and I'll take care of the kids, and next month we'll switch. There you go. Boom, now you've just created a way. I can go and I can be with God's people. Now, if you're like, well, I don't know, Paul, during this time, I don't know how I feel about gathering together. Okay. I, like, I get it. We have to balance this right now. And, and we don't want to be pushy on this. So I'd say, well, come join us for Wednesday night online. We've made a way for us to join together online. I'd say, is it ideal? No. I think being together is way better, but I also really, really enjoy aspects of Wednesday night prayer. And if you're able to join us online, I think it's a great time. I think there's, you know, we're, there's a way of, of where silence on, on online prayer feels a little bit different than when you're together. It feels a little bit like, oh, is silence okay? Yeah, it is. We're, we're still learning how to, how to do that, right? Praying online is different, but it is a gift. And you still, you get to see people, you get to hear people, you get to seek the Lord together. And there is something that God is doing in that place. So I want to leave you with one question. Really practical question. In light of prayer together being seen as normative in Scripture. Prayer together is being normative in the New Testament. Here's the question. Jesus where would you have me commit to grow in prayer together in FCA? Seek the Lord. Put that before the Lord. Lord, how would you have me grow in my commitment to prayer together? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to, again, just come before you and we lift you up, all of us. Lord, I want to pray that anything that was of me this morning, Lord, that, that that would just, that would fall away. Lord, that what's uh, of you and what's in your word, Lord, we pray that that would remain, that would get deep in our hearts. Lord, we are not perfect. We are not infallible, but you are. And Lord, your word is solid. So we would pray for that this morning. We want to be shaped and nourished and sustained by your word, formed into the way of Jesus that is known as scripture. Lord, thank you for the gift of prayer together. Thank you for the incredible gift it is to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and seek you. Lord, we're asking that you would increase our hunger and our, our desire for that. 